Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Onshot.net. Unsanitized, the SWOT analysis. I've often said on this podcast that I could never be a politician. I couldn't stand in front of you one day saying one thing and then the next day say the exact opposite of what I just said and then manage to somehow deny that I ever thought anything else the day before or even before that. I I, I couldn't in my conscience defend uh, people in my party if they were acting in an unforgivable way. Um, I can understand maybe little things but certainly not the big stuff. Um, I, I mean, I couldn't even say nothing if something bad was happening. And and because of my, let's say, uh, inverted commas, my position, I couldn't comment for fear of offending an ally even or, you know, whatever. I also couldn't trot out party lines if I didn't really believe them with any confidence. And I must say, and I'm not just picking on her particularly, but I was in awe uh, of Josepha Madigan on Ra- RT Radio uh, 1 there re- uh, a couple of days ago, confidently stating that schools were not closed for three days. The school holidays had been extended. Uh, not that she listens to the podcast, but I'm not complimenting you really in, 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 by saying that. I'm in awe by how, how you can actually, uh, how one can actually say something like that and, you know, go off happy enough. However, it isn't just people like Josepha Madigan who spent the last few days, almost all of them um, are at it. Um, with this mantra schools are safe schools are safe schools very very safe you're just hearing it all the time um, and it reminded me uh, and I don't think uh, any, uh, people of a certain age will remember this it reminded me of do you remember Comical Ali from the Iraqi war back in 2003 um, he was the um, foreign minister I think of foreign ministry and he, he would speak to the western media and when the American tanks were basically roaring in the background and he was there insisting to the to the Western media, no, there are no American tanks near Baghdad. I couldn't wait to hear um, how the government were actually going to spin the fact that it wasn't going to be safe at all to open schools um, when it, I mean, it's been clear for quite a few days um, and, and certainly a long time after they keep saying schools are safe. Well, they didn't disappoint me, to be honest with you. Michal Martin, the Taoiseach, said, indeed, schools are safe. However, the issue is actually the movement of the million people getting to the schools. That's what the problem is, and that's why we have to close the schools. Yeah, I, uh, once they enter the building, COVID just magically goes away. However, it's not the only dumbfounding thing he said this week. Earlier in the week, he announced, um, when he was announcing basically that schools would ex- uh, that they, they were extending the holidays for three days not closed remember uh, when they were extending the holidays for three days he said that the three days could be used by principals for prepare for the reopening on the 11th of january and one of the things they could do is top up the old san- sanitizers you know they need to do that they need three days to do that but also to perform a swot analysis <laughs> Yes, uh, welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education. This is one of our special COVID-19 episodes, which I call Unsanitized. Uh, This is Simon Lewis. Yes, indeed, a SWOT analysis is what the Taoiseach believed would be a good use of our time. 
And for those of you who aren't familiar with buzzwords and business speak, a SWOT analysis is a very, 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 very rough planning tool that one can do on a paper napkin for things like blue sky thinking or pushing envelopes or whatever business people do going forward or whatever. Yeah, S stands for strengths, W for weaknesses, O for opportunities, and T stands for threats. Now I wonder what threat there might be with opening schools to the entire community. Gosh, it's a tricky one. We probably need that. Mm, do we need the, the three days? You might need. Mm. Yes, I got it. There's this virus out there which is completely out of control. And there is evidence, if there wasn't ever before, suggesting that it is in fact spreading among children as well as adults. So if I throw 30 children into a small room for six hours a day with an overloaded um, contact tracing system which no longer tests if people are asymptomatic, gosh, that sounds a bit like a threat. Well, in this episode, I'm sort of throwing back the question to Michal Martin. Because it looks like the government has reaped what they've sown. Yes, the chickens have come home to roost, and yes, I can play uh, BS bingo too with meaningless cliches. But when their only plan of action for opening uh, schools was throw them all in and hope for the best, and the only safety measures given were a bit of funding for sanitizer and a bit of basic cleaning, which they uh, proceeded to cut, uh, by the way, on the evening of the winter break, just in case that didn't get to you, they have left themselves in a total mess. And this is despite months of opportunities to come up with plans should we reach a situation where it's actually simply too dangerous to send children to school. And because we all know that the only option they have is to close all schools and then pretend that remote learning worked well and maybe tokenistically state they try very, very hard to push for, I don't know, children with additional needs or whatever it will be, that's going to be the plan. So look, I mean, I at this point of recording, because uh, by the time this is recorded, maybe the plan will be out. I'm recording this on Wednesday at two o'clock. Uh, the plan has not been released. Um, Rumours are rife uh, that um, schools will be closed uh, for remote and, and remote learning will happen, uh, except possibly special schools, except po uh, possibly also special classes, and now possibly leaving cert students, although that isn't relevant for this podcast, which just focuses on primary level. So I'm, given that we don't know, I'm going to come and try and come up with a number of solutions that the government could have come up with. And what they might need to do to make them happen. I mean, to be honest with you, uh, I've uh, when I say I'm going to try and do that, I'm going to fail at doing this. Bef you know, before I go, before I start, I've I've obviously written this episode um, uh, over the last few days, and I already know the outcome of my SWOT analysis. So I'm just going to go through my thought process while I was doing the SWOT analysis. And yes, you know, look, I know that the government should have done this months ago. And yes, I know it's going to be next to impossible to do um, in the next couple of days. In fact, it is going to be impossible to do in the next couple of days. And it's not going to be free. And um, even if I do come up with some solutions in here, which, uh, to be honest with you, I don't, um, it's unlikely we're going to find any situations where everybody wins in most of them. However, I am going to explore lots of different options for reopening schools. And I'm going to find out how possible it is to do them. 
because it's very easy for the government to say something like and this is what they might say schools will do remote learning for january and special classes will open in schools but i'm interested in with any of these easy sentences they'll say or these easy solutions there'll be people who will win and people who will lose and i mean i i mean i don't mean like politicians or anything like that. i mean in terms of education uh, there will be some children that will uh, succeed in the conditions and there will be some children who will be left behind as we found out before with remote learning certain children were grand but a lot of children were far from it so we need to find out with these solutions who benefits if anyone and what could happen if we tried something different okay so um let's just start with the remote learning for all because that's the bare minimum uh, that we're going to be able to that that may come out of this and it seems it was just the plan before people started saying oh well what about what about what about um i guess if you haven't listened to this podcast before uh, you're probably wondering uh, or you might not be wondering uh, who who am i and why am i talking about remote learning or any kind of uh, distance learning or anything like that um and you know that's a fair question and i certainly don't claim to be an expert in any way shape or form however um i do have a reasonable amount of experience in terms of uh, guiding uh, teachers and school leaders in remote uh, learning um from um i suppose over the last 20 years i have uh, been teaching and uh, uh teachers and other school leaders around uh, technology and education in all its aspects and when we had our first lockdown I would have trained uh, approximately 40% um, of all principals in the country uh, on how to get started for distance learning when we were in the first uh, lockdown with some ideas about how it could be done and uh, a lot of the and a lot of um, ways to get started so I, I suppose that's my background I don't want to go on too much about me because that's not important for this episode but it just gives you a bit of a context of uh, some of the uh, work I've done and I've examined what's worked what what hasn't worked and uh, from from personal experience really of, of leading a school uh, in this situation and also from the various training sessions that I would given would have given throughout the first lockdown um, if you were looking for um, podcast episodes of um, my advice during the first lockdown um, on if I were the Minister for Education podcast I'm afraid you're not going to find them uh, because at that time I was on a board I was on the board of directors of the IPPN and as part of being on the board of the IPPN I was not allowed to run this podcast series and um, so um, I was uh, doing these uh, advice um, sort of sessions uh, via education centers or through the IPPN's uh, official channel itself through their webinars um, however they did allow me to run some um, videos and uh, some um, and some content on onshot.net slash COVID-19 uh, where I provided lots of videos to help you get started and um, so look if we are going to remote learning I suppose there's a little bit of background and a little bit of help if you need it so that's onshaw.net slash COVID-19. So anyway, look, we now know, thanks to things like common sense and some academic, academic studies, that remote learning didn't work for many cohorts of families, uh, mainly families uh, where there wasn't access to enough devices or internet-connected devices or for children with, uh, for addition, with additional needs who weren't able to access remote learning for all sorts of reasons. There were also vulnerable families um 
uh, basically um, all other types of vulnerable families. And really, in a way, we could use that as a catch-all term for families who struggled during the first time, uh, the first lockdown with remote learning. So that could be uh, families in lots and lots of different scenarios, and I'll go through them in a while. However, worse this time is this time, I suppose the last time when we had remote learning, there was the novelty effect. It was all new to everybody, in a way. I think in most places anyway, there, it was all new. So there was a bit of enthusiasm. And one of the things that remote learning had back in April was that it was such a novelty and it was easier to motivate children, um, but in some ways, more, more importantly, their families uh, to be able to work online without being dragged to their computers um, you know, or, or to their devices. And, you know, I think parents and caregivers uh, had, had some time where they may have even enjoyed um, the time with their, with their child, seeing what they were learning, uh, interacting with their teacher in a different way, uh, coming to these online assemblies that they would never have had access to, all these kind of nice things that, you know, we brought school home a little bit. Uh, to them and it was it, I mean it wasn't obviously it wasn't perfect but at that time if you can think back to March April we were all very scared and very overwhelmed and a little bit of comfort of remote of the remote learning and familiarity with school was um, you know had that novelty effect in a way uh, and people felt comforted by it not so this time because I mean if, like I just uh, if, you, if you think maybe a little further on from March and April maybe like uh, by mid-May and certainly by June, engagement from all families, more, more or less all families, had dipped to extremely low levels. Um, engagement was very, very low. Now we need to think about why this was, because it's all very nice to say, let's do remote learning, off you go. But you know, while there might be a flurry of enthusiasm for the first couple of days, because again, we're, you know, we're all back in, uh, we're all, I mean, there's nowhere to go right now, really, and it's very, it's 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 in reality it's it's extremely scary to go anywhere at the moment um you know we need to i suppose we need to find out why why did remote learning stop working i suppose for want of a better word or why didn't it work for some people so part of the answer really i suppose was because we were we were all kind of muddling along as i said you know almost sort of helping each other out through the crisis initially um i mean part of the answer uh, why it stopped uh, might have been the weather. <laughs> I don't know if you remember, I mean, the weather was really nice. And in some ways, sneaking off from online school is easier than sneaking off from normal school. And the temptation was kind of there to be able to do that. I don't know. Part of the answer maybe was expectations for online learning weren't in place from the Department of Education until the 28th of May. So a lot of schools weren't um, providing, um, you know, the say. I mean, schools weren't providing the same online opportunities for for everyone. But I don't know if that had much to do uh, with anything. I'm not sure how relevant the Department of Education's advice was, really, because most schools had, by the 28th of May, got a routine going. Remote learning is totally different to face-to-face -to -face learning, and in order for it to work, it it does require primary level adult supervision, certainly with the younger children, um, which is pretty much all of them, and. Look, if we're absolutely honest, it's not fun. I know. And as brilliant as teachers were, sitting at the teacher, uh, si <laughs> sitting down at my kitchen table with my son every day wasn't that fun after a while. And my son was lucky. 
because I was actually in a position to be able to sit with him. In fact, he was double lucky because his mum was also in a position to do that too. And that meant we were able to tag team a little bit to relieve each other. We were lucky. And both of us were also doing our jobs at the time, as, uh, so that time is well needed, of course. And we were also somewhat lucky that we only have one child, um, so access to devices wasn't an issue, and dividing our attention to multiple learners wasn't an issue. We were also lucky that we fast broadband, and we're lucky that we have all the tools and resources to help sit with our child and help him to get focused on his work. We're also very lucky that our child is neurotypically developing. We're also very lucky to live in a house with structures, routines, and no chaos. Well, not much chaos. I wouldn't say no chaos. No, little chaos. Um, what house doesn't have any chaos? But we're also lucky to live in a house at all. Where, because many families don't have this basic right. And there's lots of reasons why remote learning didn't work for a lot of families. And it could have been anything from simply not wanting to engage with remote learning, as some families chose not to do, to, having, uh, to not actually having the ability to engage with it for, no, uh, for, for, for a myriad of reasons. And ultimately, certain children lost out more than others. And without a shadow of a doubt, these were the children that inevitably needed education more than anybody else. So the very children that we really needed to target were the very children that were the hardest to target. Now, if we're being completely honest, and I know this might be difficult uh, if you're a politician, for example, listening to this, I think one of the biggest reasons remote learning and whatever form it takes, whether it's daily Zoom, CISO, school hubs, Joe Wicks marathons, or whatever it might be, what working parents need uh, what some parents need and mainly working parents need from school right now isn't so much education it's babysitting pure and simple and I don't mean that with any disrespect to teachers I don't mean it with any disrespect to parents I don't mean it with any disrespect whatsoever if somebody is gone out to work unfortunately whether we like it or not during COVID-19 I would suggest the babysitting is what's needed they need their child minded i think given a choice between their child not being minded or minded they you know um i i'm trying to think of a choice here really off the top of my head being minded um by by an adult and not being educated or being educated without being minded i think um they probably choose them being, being minded they need their children to be minded um however for children with additional needs and for children from disadvantaged backgrounds, for children from vulnerable families, from children who are homeless, for children in abusive homes, going to school is a lot more than babysitting. And I know I've said that the only pe reason people want schools open is so we can babysit, so parents can go to work. It's also true, you know, look, it is true. So we have, in a way, with in a way we have this kind of strange situation that lots of people need school for different reasons. Many people need school for babysitting. Many people need school for education. And teachers may need to have to suck that up. We, we, we are needed for different reasons. And if we are to be a babysitting service, yes, we're an extremely expensive babysitting service. But when we're in a remote learning scenario, we're actually not fulfilling that need for a, for a, you know, for a section of society. So ultimately, if we go to remote learning, the very children who need education are probably not getting it. And the very children who don't need the education, particularly because their parents will be able to do it, they actually require babysitting. Remote learning actually isn't going to help anyone very much. And I predict this time, engagement is going to be pitiful. 
I think most people are going to take an even longer extended Christmas break rather than go back to remote learning in schools. And speaking of which, this was my, what is some Twitter has now called, or someone, I, 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 I'm glad I didn't really catch on, but uh, some psychologist has, has basically called this Simon Lewis's unpopular idea. Um, I, I don't want to be, I don't want that to be my thing uh, for life, you know. Uh, do you remember Simon Lewis? Yes, he's the guy with the unpopular idea. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd love to be known for something else. But um, anyway, there we go. Um, but anyway, I, I, my unpopular idea I recorded earlier in the week, a few days ago, um, was instead of doing remote learning, we should simply take January off and repay the time later in the year. Uh, for example, most of us have a week of February in mid for midterm break. Uh, then we have the first week of the Easter break. I mean, some, some schools... Um, I mean, we get two weeks for the Easter break. I kind of get why... Um, you could take the two weeks off, but I mean, it's it, it might be difficult to do that, I don't know. Some schools may have planned another week in May for a midterm break because that term is actually quite long um, and so on. And we might actually have to e eat a little into July as well. Who knows? It really depends. And I mean, I did suggest this and when I, when I put it out there, I mean, the biggest surprise for me was I wasn't actually lynched um, for the idea. The, the general feedback was that anything was better than remote learning. But if we look at remote learning um, as something where every child loses in terms of education, what would closing completely and opening later in the year do? Look, there's no point in going on too much about this because, I mean, firstly, I covered it in my last episode, and secondly, it's not a runner now anyway, as the government have already decided remote learning is happening. But out of interest, who wins and who loses if we went with the model? Okay, so when it comes to close the schools now completely, no remote learning or anything like that, and make up the time later, all children would get their 183-ish days of face-to-face -face learning. So that's a win, no matter what your needs are. You know, the loss, I guess, is probably a social one. Do you know? So l looking at the wins there, you know, every child gets 183 days of you know if you're if babysitting is what you need you'll get your babysitting if but if education is what you need, you'll also get your education so you know there's the win for children however the loss as i said is a social one many families visit grandparents in home countries for their entire summers i mean how would that one work um i suppose for many of our families uh, who who would who would who would do that uh how would we work the july program for children with autism i suppose is another fair question uh i mean last year we did it in august um so is it a, is it fair uh i suppose to expect schools to lose their entire summer again uh for the second year running maybe i don't know possibly it is i mean i am one of those soldiers it was a really really hard um, and the potential loss of that i suppose is, is burnout which can also lead to all sorts of other problems Look, as I said, it doesn't really matter because it's not happening. But it's, um, I mean, these, it's, it's interesting to see, okay, who wins and who loses. And in terms of education, everybody did win. However, the losses might be, um, might, are, are worth considering. I suppose the, last, uh, the next thing really is it leaves us with a blended situation. Okay, and ultimately this is where we should have been in the first place. This is the situation I would have argued for back in August uh, and, be and before that. But I, I did a five, it turned out to be a seven part podcast, I think, or maybe it was a four, five part podcast on how to do blended learning. Um, and I did that in August, uh, if you want to listen back. But I want to see what's possible um, 
and I, I'm going to do it with a zero budget um, or close to zero. I don't think it's possible particularly, but we'll have a look. And I want to think about the blended learning uh, situation. Because for me, the blended situation is that, you know, you try and get a situation where children come to school some of the time and then aren't here for some of the other time. But then there are situations, as we know, that, some, that that's not a good enough model because some children need to be in school all the time if they're going to engage, so are vulnerable families. So some will come once or twice a week, some will come in every day, and some might not be able to come at all because they may be at, from at-risk families, so coming into the school might be too dangerous. And there's a campaign of sorts, um, you know, that's been, you know, in the background for the last, I suppose, since May, that schools might open to half the children alternately in a myriad of ways, you know, one day on, one day off, a morning shift, an afternoon shift, one week on, one week off, and so on and so forth, all that kind of stuff. But to me, it's overly simplistic. And while it treats everyone the same, it doesn't give consistency to children who need school more than others and for different reasons. And as I said, these reasons could be anything from childcare to pedagogical uh, reasons. Now, it would be very tempting for the government to say to schools, right, lads, you sort it all out. And, you know, in some ways, it is very tempting for them to do that. However, this will lead to all sorts of problems because... In Ireland, one of the biggest problems we have in Irish society, and it's not just a school, a school thing, it's everywhere I'd say is, and, and the problem is people who shout the loudest. So if your school decided, and it was all left to you, we are going to prioritize frontline workers to come into school, and a local broadband provider guy decided, my, my child should come to school, what are you gonna do? Uh, about that, my, about my child, he should be coming to school. Uh, I'm a frontline worker, in his opinion, um, and then he goes off shouting and bawling and claiming all this, you know, and he doesn't have anyone to mind his kid. Blah 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 blah. And then what if, you know, that's that's fine. I'm sure you can deal with that. You're you know you're you're the you're the boss. But what if he then takes his kid to the school up the road, who were just about to lose a teacher due to their falling numbers, and they will take anyone just to keep that teacher. Look, you get the picture. The problem really is in Ireland, all schools compete with each other for numbers, um, and particularly small schools. And, you know, it's fine being in a big school where, you know, losing one child doesn't really matter, um, or gaining one child doesn't really matter for your enrollments, but you're in a two-teacher two school and you lose a family, you could end up losing a teacher, you know? So you'll do what it takes, and you'll bend the rules somewhat you know to to kind of keep people happy um and you know some people might be unsympathetic to that but i just i, I it's a it's a point you know and a, that needs to be made and if we're going to allow some children come to school every day and others only come in once or twice a week who do we prioritize you know we we i think we need um we need to think about that because every single person with an agenda will prioritize their agenda and some of their and some people's agendas will be perceived as higher than others, and sometimes they'll be right, and sometimes you know they're not. So, if social media is a good barometer for prioritizing, and to be honest, it usually is, most people seem to be thinking children of frontline workers and children with additional needs. And as of today, leaving cert students, but as I said, this is a primary school podcast, so I don't need to include them. Others are, also, uh, others are also looking at children from disadvantaged backgrounds, and this is kind of where things get tricky straight away. Um, 
if it were just the first two, frontline workers and children with additional needs, in some ways it's fairly easy. Parent proves they're a frontline worker and the child comes to school. With special education, if a child has a diagnosis, they're also in. And, you know, there's no management there, really. There's no, there's no um, kind of grey areas. However, take disadvantage, okay? If you work in a desh school, okay, chances are high that... <laughs> I mean, when I say they're high, the chances are... Um, the, ch the chances aren't just high, they're certain that the vast majority of your pupils come from disadvantaged backgrounds. That's why you're a desh school. So then you kind of have to think about how do you subdivide disadvantage? How do you, def how do you define disadvantage, first of all? Because, you know, you, you, you know, when it comes down to it, you're not going to, you know, you, how do you say to a family, hi, we think you're disadvantaged. Would you like to come to school? Um, or we don't think you're disadvantaged enough, so you can't come to school. It's, you, need, you need parameters. You need definition. So if you're in a desh school, I mean, you might subdivide disadvantage, for example, um, children who are identified under the school completion program. Do they get prioritized over children who aren't? Maybe that's it. But these are things that have to be figured out. Um, another variable uh, that's out there are staff members' children. Should they be prioritized? Now, I'd imagine if, if they had no childcare, then it obviously makes sense because how are they going to come to school? Um, some uh, would argue that infants should come into school as remote learning is totally impossible with infants. So we have to look at how we do that. And then the list of priorities could continue as needs be. And obviously we need to put a cap on the number of children that can come into a building to, you know, I, I mean, let's, let's get it out of there. Schools are not safe. Um, let's, let's, right now, schools are not safe. Um, and basically that's how I've said that now. So let's see what we need to put, a, so let's see how many children we can bring into schools right now to make, the, to, be, to be safe enough. And uh, decide um, what is the cap on the number of children that can come into a building. Kind of like the Danish model that we had back in March, April, when you remember they that they opened very early and they were having you know, like a maximum of you know 10 people in a classroom or whatever it was. And uh, it kind of worked reasonably well. They didn't allow secondary schools, so they filled the secondary schools up with uh, primary school and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, we have to, and we kind of uh, decide how many people we can have in the building and decide how flexible we can be with that. So we'd have a list of priorities and one simply would go down that list until you reach whatever percentage capacity. Let's say 30% is the capacity we're going to have in our, our schools. You know the way we had in lecture halls, 25% was, was what they said they would have for face-to-face -face in lecture halls or in buses it was 50% or something. So let's say 30% in, in primary schools, I don't know. Um, and that would give class sizes about 10 to 12 people in reality, which is probably fair enough. Um, this means that the 30% of pupils will be taught in school every day. So these are priorities. So what do we do with the remaining 70%? Could some of them come into, into school for some of the week? So would they be given a time slot per week for coming into school? Um, now this would be very log you know, logistically, this would be very difficult for schools because if there's an outbreak, how does one manage the contact tracing there? You know, even e look, even as I'm talking, I can see how difficult this is going to be. I mean, do we simply then say 70% don't come to school at all, except maybe to bring in and out and collect resources or to hand up work, or don't come into school at all, at all, at all? And then if all the staff are working with the 30% of children, then who's going to teach the remaining 70% of children who aren't in school? Maybe trainee teachers. I, I don't know. 
I mean, as I'm as I'm talking through this and going through the the, the different opportunities and the threats and all the strengths and weaknesses of my plans, see, I'm doing my SWOT analysis, Mihal. It's getting very very complicated, isn't it? You know, it's very easy to say we need to prioritize these children, but if we're going to prioritize, we need to we need to see what happens when we when we start letting people into the building and what are the problems and i haven't even gone into the safety measures that are uh, that are probably uh, going to be needed which are definitely going to be needed i mean for example if you're going to have children with additional needs uh, basically in your special schools or special classes opening at a bare minimum all the staff should be vaccinated um I meaning we we we've um we've known that uh, special schools have a higher um rate of infection than mainstream classes and we know that children who have integrated from um, a special classes for children with autism into mainstream classes have spread the virus um, a, a big, uh, you know a, around the school and and you know we have to protect people who are working you know I mean if if schools only contain children and this narrative that children had spread the disease was you know was was was, was believable you know fine but it isn't children don't run schools you know children uh, are in schools but there are a lot of adults in there and we have to protect them too i haven't gone into that really too much because you know i'm, I'm really kind of thinking of the um the logistics really of who do we prioritize uh, in terms of face-to-face -face learning and and who goes remote learning and so on um but as i said it's getting very complicated um and with very little notice i mean what are we we're at wednesday now we can't make good solutions do you know even if we went really simple and just said all special schools open and everyone else goes remote how do we actually manage this you know there won't be any buses running i presume uh, nobody's any more protected than they were before christmas um there's still massive issues with the lack of substitutes and who's going to want to sub now and if special schools are going to open at a bare minimum you know as i said staff have to be vaccinated as the same priority as frontline workers in hospitals i mean it's the bare minimum protection they need to have and this is going to take time to sort out before we could even think about special schools opening and it all needs to be put in place moving on to only opening special classes in mainstream schools because that's another solution that's just been mooted vaccinations again would have to be a bare minimum and you'll also need at least the ancillary staff on site probably the principal of the school i don't know you need you know there's a lot of logistics of you know you can't just say okay special classes open okay well you know the two teachers in the two special classes do they have keys to open the school uh no probably not so we need to get the caretaker we need to get the principal okay that's that's easy stuff um what if there's a problem okay we need we need access we need uh, our secretary in so like is that possible okay that's again something else. i mean i'm just thinking of things off the top of my head here of variables that need to be done look it can be done we did the july program in august last year and it, and it worked okay but we did have um the classes running we'd um but we also had someone managing uh, the classes as well and that would need to be put in place but thinking more again on this what about the children of the staff who might be working in these special schools or special classes one might then um have to provide a childminding service of sorts in the school for the staff's children and then who would provide that service and what would happen if there was an outbreak in that service because all the children that would be there would all be mixing together and therefore would be then close contacts of all the staff it would mean all of the staff would be gone uh, as close contacts in one fell swoop 
Now, some less understanding people might ask, well, what do people do now? What do working people do right now? You know, it's, 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 it's a, I don't know if it's a fair question, but it's a question. We, we, we need to figure out, um, you know, we have to answer that question. I, to be honest with you, if we're going to try, you know, uh, that, you know, there's no, the answer to that question is, you know, don't be, don't be, a, don't be mean, you know? Like, if we want schools to be open and we're trying to open up these uh, classes, look after the people that are working there, you know? Look after them as best you can. Look after their children somehow would be my answer. Don't like say, you know, well, tough luck, sort yourself out. Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's unkind, I think. Anyway, that aside, we also need to figure out what happens if staff get sick. Do we replace them with someone who's actually remote teaching um, from the current staff? Uh, what happens if we can't get substitutes, which is very likely given the virus? Um, and, and these are questions that really need take, to, they, ha they take time to answer. I've been pondering on them over the last few days, but, you know, uh, it kind of feels at the moment that, you know, um, people aren't asking questions. They're just, they're only coming up with the ideas without looking into what happens to them. And, and that's my point as well. I'm only, I'm, I mean, despite having a little bit of time to think about this, I'm only scratching at the surface here because I've only had uh, a day or so to ponder on these options and I've likely left out loads of other ideas. Of course I have, loads of other variables and I've even kept talking. Uh, and even if I kept talking, I suppose, for the next three days, I don't think I'd have a very good solution. You see, the episode here started with a challenge that Micheál Martin didn't realise he was really setting because he was talking through his hat. But I feel I've started. But you know, I feel I've started that SWOT analysis now, um, that he he reckons school management would do, and I feel I'm I'm kind of in the middle of it, and there, and you know, and I feel I'm in a complete mess. The reality is that schools are exceptionally complex places that look after exceptionally complex structures. Teachers no longer simply mind your kids, you know, and they don't simply just teach from a desk. Where, and the children all sit in rows listening and, and, and we open up their heads and fill them with knowledge. Do you know, we are not, we are, it, it, that's not what schools are like anymore. And as well as the fact that teaching has changed completely since probably some of you were in school, we, we've taken on extra roles. You know, yes, we're childminders, but we're, uh, yeah, but we're also social workers. We're speech and language therapists. We're occupational therapists. We're food providers sometimes. We're behaviorists. And we're many, many, many other things depending on what children need. The one thing that we aren't is magicians. And it sometimes feels like we are, um, and that's what's expected of us. If we want or if we need fast solutions, the three options on the table are um, to close completely and make up the time later. That's option number one. We could close and do remote learning for everybody. That's option two. And number three is we could close and do remote learning for some and face-to-face -face for others. But unfortunately, we've seen the huge complexities if we try and look at the hybrid measures. Now, I'm all for doing them, but they will take time to implement properly. And, and most importantly, I mean, I don't know if I've said this enough, to keep people safe. You know, the, the fact of the matter is, this virus isn't just some kind of thing that comes and goes and, you know, you, you're knocked out for a few weeks and then you get back to normal. This virus can kill you. And it has killed people. Um, it's killed over, you know, nearly 3,000 Irish citizens this year. You know? There, it is, um, it, we don't know. 
the irreparable damage it has done to people's systems, uh, immune systems and so on. The thing is, you don't want to get this virus. And we have to, as a country, protect everybody as best we can. Yes, we have to run a society and we have to try and uh, do, a, 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 you know, and, and yes, I totally accept that, you know, we, we do have to continue society and education is part of society, but we can't completely disregard um, people's safety. And that seems to be where they're at at the moment, you know? Um, and as I said, if we look at the hybrid measures, we have to implement them properly to ensure people's safety. Um, and ha having completed this SWOT analysis of sorts, I suppose this is my SWOT analysis, I think I've come to the same conclusion as I had a few days ago. Um, and that's to close the schools and, make, uh, uh, for, and give us a few weeks to figure things out and then make up the time again. I mean, it's not ideal and things should have been put in place before now. But we, what can we do right now? Uh, uh, like, bef I mean, before I go on, somebody sent me a post that, that's, I, I don't know if it's genuine, but it's reported to be from a teacher who spoke to a, someone who, from Bosnia who stated that during war times in Bosnia, she missed four years of education. And she said she's grown up now to be to be fine with a university degree and a good career and all that kind of stuff. Look, I'm not sure how authentic the post was, but in some ways it's probably right. You know, I mean, um, it, it, it's worth considering too, I suppose. But look, I, I, I'm going to have to leave it there, um, you know, uh, we're just saying to the Taoiseach, um, I've done my SWOT analysis now, and they're my conclusions. Um, I guess it's over to you. So that is um, my thoughts, as I said, on the uh, Taoiseach SWOT analysis. Um, I suppose by the time this is released, the, uh, the plan will be uh, published. Maybe it won't. Um, it is now nearly three o'clock. I have to edit this. Uh, so it should be out before four. Um, if I know the government, like uh, we all know the government, it could be half five, six o'clock before the plan comes out. So you might have a couple of hours uh, to listen to this with uh, uh you know before the context comes out look whatever decision is made later on um i hope it's a, uh, i we, we we know already it probably won't be a very good one um but we'll have a we'll have a look at it analyze it and we'll do our best as we always do as um, teachers and staff in schools um if you've enjoyed this podcast uh, although it's very hard to enjoy podcasts like this when you're when we're impending disaster is about to be unleashed upon us um, please uh, do have a think about listening to some of our other episodes um, where uh, particularly our normal episodes where we uh, analyze one part of the education system we'd like to change if we were if we I'm speaking about myself in the uh, as the we oh my gosh um, what have I become uh, if I was a minister for education uh, and it's well worth uh, maybe having a look at some of those um, just for a break uh, some of them are quite serious topics some of them are more light-hearted um, and uh, you can have a listen to that anytime I generally release them every Friday around 559 um, which is the traditional time the government um, unleash any of their circulars look thanks so much for listening you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Spotify and any other podcasting tool you like to use and you can search for it on uh, as Unshaw's podcast thanks so much for all the people that are listening it's great to see uh, the podcast back in the top 10 irish podcasts again um uh, it's it's been a while uh, listen thanks for listening and we'll catch you again bye bye <laughs>